Hello and welcome to another episode of Live Bullions. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Alex. Alex, how are hey, you doing? I'm good, Costa. How are you doing, everybody? Good, good. So today we are joined by a special guest, Matt Trobiani from Team Fractal Alligator. Matt, uh, great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So Matt is the developer, uh, well, Team Fractal Alligator is developer of WrestleDunk Sports, which has just recently come out, and also Hacknet. Uh, Hacknet is a pretty interesting game. I've played it. I'm very <laughs> a huge fan of it. Um, but basically, the, the, the gist is players have to solve the mystery of Bit, the murdered creator of an invasive security system. As a failsafe, he's left the player a trail to follow and follow what you must down the rabbit hole of hackery. I love that. So, Matt, tell us how you got into game development and where you got this inspiration for Hacknet. Um, okay, well, I have uh, a couple of answers to that. Uh, how I got into game development, um, I started out making mods for Warcraft 3, um, which, well, like, I guess, like, maps for it was what they were back then. Um, but I, I love that whole scene. So I was, I was making little things, and then from there, I started making... My own projects uh, like helped make an I Want to Be the Guy fan game uh, with some friends. Um, started programming my own stuff. I discovered game jams a while after that. Um, I was like, whoa, you can, you can just make your own games. That's allowed. Um, and then I made some absolute garbage for a couple of years. Uh, and then I made a good video game. That's pretty much the whole story. <laughs> I, I think whenever I hear these, it's, it's always the same answer, right? Where, you know... I just started making video games and then eventually I made a good video game. Um, so I don't know how, how much you want me to rehash that story, which is essentially the same for everyone. But my actual start was making the, the Warcraft 3 like custom maps. Um, I was doing a computer science degree at uni and just started making games on the side and got a job and kept making games on the side um, and eventually, you know, released something that was successful enough to let me do it full time. Mm. What what kind of uh what kind of maps are we talking here? Um, I did a whole bunch of variants. I did a couple of tower defense ones. I worked on um one of those uh I can't remember what it was called. It was maybe you remember it. It's uh where you controlled like one archer and it was kind of like a sniper map, and you had a like an ability you could cast which went in a straight line with a long cooldown. You'd have to run around and take cover. I, I made a fancy one of those that would like bounce off sword surfaces, like a bounce shot thing that I was really proud of. Um. Uh. Yeah, a whole bunch of stuff like that. I can't. I can't remember any of them. I think I also did a whole, <laughs> whole bunch of changes to those like Lord of the Rings siege maps that were like oh. grossly unbalanced. Did the best. Just Samwise chain lightning. <laughs> yeah. um, so those all ruled, of course. But yeah. I, I think all of those games, just that format of having lots of like quick, small, incredibly janky things to play that are all like inherently multiplayer, is such an awesome format. Mm. Um, which obviously like I've like tried to like dip a little toe into with the rest of dunk style stuff. But uh, I love that whole era and like the accessibility of making stuff. It actually makes me think that like maybe Roblox is the new one of those. And I've kind oh, of yeah. just like they did make the next generation of it and I just somehow completely missed it. It's <laughs> really sad to think about, you know. <laughs> I feel that. It's one of those like uh that's when you know, like, I don't know, it's, it's now for the kids. We, yeah. can't, uh, we can't see it for what it is. Yeah. There's, um, I feel like 
uh, with Hacknet because you said it's it's uh, in your mind it seems to be a pretty linear uh, how you went from you know modding games to then making a game, but mm. like uh, Hacknet's very much that there's like that old saying if you're a, when you're a hammer everything's a nail so yeah. when you're a game developer everything's a game and like that is like Hacknet is not a traditional game like it it feels like it's approached from a like you know someone who's inspired by something else other than games and then gamified it um so you said you did a computer degree a computer science degree yeah computer science degree. um just a computer degree alex <laughs> just yeah, a degree I don't, I don't, computers i don't uni <laughs> computers one computer degree please yeah yeah <laughs> Thank you, school. um yeah i mean i think that's a really good take on it i think developers that take that approach are uh really good it's definitely something that i tried to do where with hacknet i wanted it to feel deliberately very different and i wanted it to feel like um how do i describe this the uh when you're actually messing around with like both programming problems and like security problems, like hacking stuff, um, a lot of it's very dull and annoying and time consuming. But there are these like brief moments of like discovery when the pieces all like click together and you can make something work that are very like exciting. And I think that it wasn't so much about making a game that was where I had a, a bunch of preset mechanics in mind to be like, oh, I'm going to have a double jump and it's going to be awesome. Um, I was just like really chasing that feeling. Um, and I'd, I'd put a bunch of the mechanics in there that were like truly meant to be placeholders that are there all the way to the end. Like um, a bunch of the fireball stuff where there's just letters come up and you just type the letters that come up. It was like, it's like the most brain dead thing. I was thinking I was going to have to rework it to make it like a little mini game puzzle or something. But I found that as soon as you put that like game element bit into it, it now feels like a mini game. It doesn't feel like, you know, the computer's spitting something out and you're plugging it into something else and you're this awkward human part in the middle that you're just bridging it because the technology's not quite perfect yet. Um, and that that awkwardness felt more true to that feeling than um, like an actual game felt in there, if that made sense. Mm. Um, so the the whole approach to that game was about the the feeling of it. Uh, and less about the mechanics, um, which has resulted in this weird project where if you look at it on a purely mechanical level, Hacknet's garbage. There's nothing there. Um, but um, somehow it all did come together to feel close enough to work. And uh, I think that's that's really what the essence of the whole game is. Um, so it's a really interesting exercise in game design because it means that you'd, I'd be constantly running into problems that I couldn't just look up a reference game, see like, oh, how do they solve this? Or mm. how's this dealt with in other games? So I was running to design the problems constantly, but um, uh, I think it produced something that, yeah, it doesn't feel like much else, which is really cool. Was there a lot of um, playtesting back and forth uh, with people who weren't familiar with um, coding or did you know that the player base you were designing for was going to be for coding or were you just like, I don't care what other people think? I like this game. Um, uh, oh my god, there was a lot of playtesting, and it was <laughs> horrible. Um, it was like truly exhausting. Um, I took it to a, a lot of conventions, um, and I think I think I would have taken it to like oh, so many where I'd, I'd I'd bring it there and I'd show you like the tutorial, the opening to the game. Um, and I had a whole cool demo built out and no one beat the whole tutorial like all weekend. <laughs> and that was just like, oh God. 
Um, and like, you know, you'd, you'd spend the whole day and no one would beat it and I'd go home and I'd make a bunch of changes and I'd ta- be taking notes and stuff all day. And like, it's really, I don't think there's a better way to really hammer it into your head that your tutorial should be better than having to physically stand behind people over the course of an entire weekend and see everyone fail at it and be frustrated by it. That is like a grueling experience. Yeah. So I did that like 20 times, which sucked. But uh, eventually we got a tutorial that was better. Um, and uh, But yeah, I think without that, the game would have been like a disaster. Um, I think you your... need to hit the tone right on the yeah. opening and make it more approachable or you're screwed. And I think the Hacknet tutorial could be still lots better but um, there's so much crazy stuff. Like changing the color of one word at one point like doubled the number of people that passed it. It's, it's wild. Oh, wow. um, there's so much weird psychology and stuff in that tutorial that's yeah. so subtle it would seem meaningless, but it, it changed the results massively. And that's what I was going to ask actually was like what kind of changes did you implement that you could test rapidly? Was it like you know, assist the player a bit more here or give a bit more context or was it like, I have to redesign this whole thing from scratch just to get people to understand it in a, in a certain way? Um, so the mechanical design of the tutorial stayed pretty much the same uh, from the third revision, I think. The first two were a bit of a mess. But um, the mechanical idea was that, okay, I'm going to give the player there, like introduce the player to like, what the general buttons do and the fact that you can type it into the terminal and I'm going to have them hack into their first computer and download something. That's like the tutorial. Um, so once I had that worked out, the mechanics were pretty much the same. The real thing that changed was uh, like the text that came up and how that was presented. Um, and then the next steps from there were like hiding things that weren't relevant until they were necessary. Um, some of the changes that I made that were pretty interesting were, um, I think the, the biggest one was that I, I went through this little phase where I was like, okay, I'm going to highlight the the word that's like the command you need to type in. Uh, I'll be highlighting like words that are commands in blue. Um, and then when it shows up in the tutorial, you can like sort of skim through it. You see the command, you type it in. Uh, and straight away that like absolutely tanked the number of people that would actually finish the tutorial. Because as soon as they see that two times in a row, they're like, all right, this is now uh, you look for the blue word, you type the blue word in, that passes the tutorial. Mm. And then as soon as you present them, like anything to do with that, all right, now you're like, now you have to scan this computer and the word scan isn't blue, they're screwed. They can't <laughs> do it. Um, so <laughs> after discovering this, I'm like, okay, but people won't read it unless there's a blue word in there. So I worked out that uh, the way to do it was you had to write like a single line that was like, uh, scan this computer in blue, but you can't write scan or like you won't have the actual command in that sentence. Like the, the thing that's highlighted is the action you need to take and the rest of the white text explains like how to, like what the command is basically. Um, so the it's like a very subtle thing, but the the shift in thinking there is that players will look for the blue thing, which is what I need to do. And if they're already a... Uh, like know how to use a terminal. Like, so one of them, for example, is like list all files in this folder. And that's like a real command and Hacknet uses the same command in its actual terminal. If you know what that is, you'll just type ls in and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so players that know the commands will like see what they need to do. They'll type the right command in, they'll just pr- proceed. 
But if they don't, they'll be like, well, how do I do that? They have to read the, you know, it's like one sentence they have to read underneath it. But zero people would read that um, unless you, like, make them. Mm. And then there's there's a whole bunch of, like, prior trickery that makes them want to read it. It's it's all nonsense. But um, anyway, in answer to your question, yeah, there was a lot of playtesting. So there's a lot of it's, it's, there's almost like a lot of psychology behind it, eh? It's and and did you have, mm. did you have to actually learn that stuff? Is it was it just something? Did you actually go out and research like the psychology behind some of this motivation, or was it just as you said, like test, change something, test again? See I mean, happens? I like to say that I like researched the psychology of it, but I like didn't. I just yeah. uh, <laughs> like I was just trying to think about it in terms of what players were like thinking the way that sorry mm-hmm. what players were thinking is probably even the wrong way to do it i guess it's like what mode their brains in mm-hmm. um like mm-hmm. it's very easy in a game to just be in a state where you're like i just want to proceed and you don't care about the pop-up boxes that are in front of you right and that's because your brain's in a certain state it's not that you're thinking about it it's that your brain's working in that way um and i just wanted to understand that so it was really just testing and making guesses mm-hmm. um I'd thought about talking to like psychologists to try and get tips on this, but I think it's such an abstract problem that that would be, you know, more trouble than just doing more testing myself, you know. Yeah, and every game sure. seems to have a, a a unique to that not not so much unique to them, but a unique a different issue. Like when we were making our game, like mm. we couldn't have any words in it because we found that no <laughs> one reads anything, so everything was yeah. done by symbols. But your game is based around text, so you'd have mm. to assume the players are at least reading something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's really tricky um like the the hardest part of the tutorial was coming to terms with the fact that you can't use that space as a means of teaching this game to people like the the main purpose of the tutorial and this is a it's a little bit counterintuitive um is to make any player feel like this is something that they can do you want to establish like two feelings um in it which is like this is cool and legit computer hacking and also this is something that you can actually do um and so even though it is teaching the players like the commands and stuff to use the game expects that they won't remember that at all um it's it's really about like the the secret purpose of the tutorial is to just establish that feeling of both like this is like a cool, super technical thing and it is possible for you to do this. Like you can do it as long as you pay just a little tiny little bit of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the steps to get there were also crazy and confusing. Like there were, there were some points where I'd make like a step in the tutorial that was like too simple to fail. Uh, it's like, it was ridiculous. Like there was, there was nothing on the screen except like a big blue button and the tutorial prompt was like, click the button to proceed. And people would turn around and be like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, I, I can't help you, right? And it's like, this is this can't be simpler. Like, what do you mean you don't know what yeah. to do? Yeah, and yeah. It, it took me a really long time to, to come to terms with that being a legitimate response and to like, to like internalize that these people aren't stupid, right? Like, it's really easy to look at that and be like, what an idiot. Mm-hmm. But they're not stupid. They're just in this mindset of seeing something that, and Hagnet deliberately looks intimidating and complicated, right? And they're used to seeing computers that look like that and feeling like they can't engage with it in a way that is good, right? Mm -hmm. 
So even though they see the button, they know that they could click the button and it's what it says to do, but they feel like they're being trapped or something, you know, whatever. They don't feel like it's the right answer, even if they like can consciously understand as a puzzle that it's obviously what the next step to do, right? Yeah. So they just feel like it's not something that they're capable of. So they feel trapped. So they feel like they don't know what to do, even if it's unbelievably simple. So the real trick of the tutorial is trying to convince players that like they can. Like there's each step is such a small increment in difficulty from the previous one that there's no appropriate place for them to be like, this one's too complicated because they just did the last one, which was just as hard. And you have to start them from literally nothing of just being like, look in this vague direction and there's nowhere else to look, you know, yeah. and this is flashing and you move your cursor over it and you're like, wow, you're so good. You've done it. Now you need to click on something. And it's like, it's all so small and it's so nothingy that like, if you're technically competent, you'll just click on it and you won't even notice that there's this stuff there. But um, that, that felt important to me. You gave a, um, a talk. I remember a few years ago, it was one of my first talks that I'd seen in Adelaide one of the Adelaide game developer talks about um, community and then, you know, reading up on with Hacknet, community plays a big role in um, in the game's reception and all that. Um, what, what what was the community uh, primarily gamers? Were they, prim- were they did, did they, was there a hacking past with them? Um, like uh, what built the community? Like, why, why was it so important for, um, Hacknet's release and all that. Obviously, besides the fact that you, you need a community to release a game, but um, there's something about it that just seems so pivotal with it. It needs it. Well, yeah. What I, I think role did it play actually? Like you know, in that in the game. Um, it, it's changed over time. Um, when the game launched, um, because it's such a uh, the store page is a hard sell because it looks like just screenshots of a Linux terminal or whatever. Um, it, it really needed like a certain amount of like uh, like buzz and it needed that like positive rating on Steam to go anywhere at all. Um, so having the like the community of like people that like these sort of games that are willing to um, like take a chance on it and to really get into it and like leave those reviews and be active on the forums and stuff right away um, was really important for the game like getting off the start line if that makes sense. Um, but as the lifetime of the game's gone on, because it's, um, you know, it's just like a like a linear single-player experience, um, I added in, like, mod support to the game. Uh, very similar to the Warcraft 3, 3 stuff, where you could, like, make your own little campaigns uh, and then release them with all the Hacknet tools. Um, and the community's given the game, like, a much longer lifespan and, like, so much more content by making these extra mods that now like getting the game is much more than just the you know the base experience that i made but it's all of these other like stories and other things that community members have done actually just last night someone released one that was the whole game passed a bunch of times through google translate and then all of the images and stuff were redrawn crudely in ms paint um so that that totally rules um yeah so the community's had a whole bunch of important um i think that's very important obviously Definitely. What's one of the uh, the best mods you've seen for um, So I, I had a, uh, I've had two so far uh, competitions for making these campaigns. They're called extensions with Hacknet. And um, the all of the winners from those are like, outstanding. Um, the winner of the most recent one was this extension called Flagged. 
um, that's it's just a very OG uh, Hacknet experience, but it has, I guess, like a lot of the the modern sensibilities of the community now. Is like the the way the tools are used and things um, has changed over time within the community, and it's it just feels uh, like huge and fresh, and it's like a whole another Hacknet campaign that's you know well developed and well written, um, and it's just remarkable to see that sort of just come out of this whole thing it's like it's like a whole other game in there you know um second place was um this extension called murder room where you're like you're doing a bunch of detective work and it uses a bunch of the tools that we use in the expansion for the game uh, in these really interesting ways um that like you like it it becomes this whole different tool that lets you like investigate and analyze um like investigation pieces of the evidence and stuff and to find more information about it. And it just completely changes the purpose of the tool into being that. Um, and uh, yeah, again, it's like, it's a whole different game. So uh, those two are particularly excellent. The winner of the first one, um, Hacker Wars, um, sort of emulates this like a more PVP sort of, you're actively working against someone else in a bunch of sort of a weird arena matches um, and it's, yeah, it's, they're all remarkable. The creativity of the community has been really exciting. Is there a, uh, is there a sequel on the cards at any point? Or is, it, or is, that, a, is that a sort of space you want to explore again? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd like to. I'm not sure when yet. I'm working on different stuff at the moment. I got really burned out with uh, Hacknet stuff, Hacknet-specific stuff that I just felt like I needed just a whole bunch of time away from even the space of making more narratively focused stuff, which is why I'm working on real mechanical stuff at the moment. Um, but uh, there's a lot I want to do to it um, with that whole thing. I would really like to go and do multiplayer hacknet stuff at some point. Mm-hmm. I have this design in my mind for like sort of a, like a co-op campaign where you can like drop in and out of the session by connecting to certain stuff in the game. Um, and then, yeah, you'll be able to be, um, yeah, playing through some missions while like there'll be like time sensitive stuff where like someone will need to break into this and like do a bunch of things on this system so that you can get in here and you're like working your way through a big it's, network together. It'd be really cool. It's almost, it's almost like a heist or something like that. Yeah, know. exactly. It's yeah. exactly a heist. And then you've <laughs> yeah. always got like the, the chat window open on the yeah. side and like <laughs> you'll have your like AI buddies doing stuff. You can have bots that are doing things for you and they're all posting stuff to the chat. And it'd be so cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, sure. I have a whole design for that that I'd love to do at some point. But um, I just... Uh, I'm it's working like on a, stuff at the moment, but someday I'd like, really like to. It's like the 1995 movie, like Hackers, you know? <laughs> oh, it, I mean, <laughs> I actually tried to license um, Halcyon and on and on from Orbital, which is like plays during the Hacked Planet scene in that movie <laughs> yep, yep. for Hacknet, but I couldn't get the license. <laughs> oh, uh, damn. So, well, well, talk to us. I mean, you, you mentioned there you, you got a bit burnt out doing Hacknet and mm. that's sort of one of the main motivations to going into sort of more mechanic games. Mm-hmm. What, what was it sort of? You know, what was it like? What was the motivation there around going from, you know, a hacking game now mm. to WrestleDunk Sports, you know, a sports game? Like, you know, someone looking at it from the outside might think, like, that's a it's a strange jump, you know, to go from one to the other. But, you know, talk I can to tell us about you that it. from the inside, it also feels like a strange, dumb jump. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, when I say I was burnt out on Hacknet, I, I don't really know how to elaborate on much more than that. I just felt like I couldn't work on that game or I, I couldn't do a sequel straight away. I just didn't mm. 
I just didn't want to play it, you know. I just wasn't interested in that. Like it felt like it felt like I'd played Skyrim for a million hours. And I'm like, oh, forget about this game forever, and it's going to take me a while before I want to like go back to it. Um, and uh, so I had a real think about, I guess, what sort of games I did want to play and what sort of games I really wanted to make eventually. Um, and almost all of them, like all of my favorite games have like movement in them. I know in some ways I felt like I wasn't sure if I was a real game developer with Hackneck because it's like barely a game in some respects. Um, and a lot of the traditional game stuff was something I'd never, well, not never touched, but that wasn't in this work at all. Um, and I wanted to see if I could do that and like explore that whole side of things so that I wasn't I wasn't pushing myself into this role of making these sort of games forever when the like my favorite games ever um I would still have like movement and you know camera work and stuff to them that I hadn't really uh like dealt with at all so I wanted to make a game that was like focused all about that like partially because it was so different that and I wanted those skills if that makes sense mm. Making uh, the characters in WrestleDunk Sport uh, blocks is genius. <laughs> As an artist and someone who does not ever want to rig or animate, like I know there was some rigging in those things, but mm. you haven't got joints and stuff like that, and yet it still conveys it perfectly. Yeah, um, I feel I feel weird about that choice now. Where that was the idea, right? Like what I what I wanted was um, so I've done a lot of game jams, and I like love the little multiplayer games that come out of game jams because they have this mechanical purity to them where the characters are almost always like blocky you really know like where the hitboxes are and what the state of things is in the game because it's all just like transparently drawn to the screen is exactly the like the state of the real game it's not like (laughs) behind this weird muddy layer of animations or whatever it's not like smoothed out um so that you know if you press the attack button it comes out like that frame there's like there's no buffering in the way or anything so um i i, I really like those sort of games that feel so uh, like crisp and um like tight in their design mm. if that makes sense like responsive um, but yeah and responsive but taking something like that to market is hard because it feels like you have to add that layer on top of it to make it like marketable or like big enough to make it a product right mm. um so i designed WrestleDunk as an idea of being like okay i'm gonna do a pack and i want it to feel like those games and then i'll just put lots of them in and then i'll use that as a justification to build like the good foundation so it has like the online multiplayer and uh, all of this responsiveness and kind of make a settings menu man my least favorite part of making any <laughs> game is making the little box that comes up after you change the resolution that says, do you want to like, do you want to keep this resolution? Oh, you yeah. hate it. <laughs> I hate that part of it so much. And I don't even know why it's like my <laughs> least favorite part of making any game. Um, anyway. Um, so that was, that was the idea where I wanted to make the characters, these little like boxes so that it maintained that sort of game jam tightness mm. feel where you could sort of like see exactly the shape and like that your character was like there's no hiddenness to like the region it really is exactly that box um but i think it's made it hard to harder to sell like um i think while it like it 
it plays pretty well and it and it looks like it, it reads well and it works when you're like playing it. I think it makes the store page look like cheap. Um, which is a struggle. So I don't know. It's there are good parts to it and bad. Yeah. No, I think it's a uh yeah. I think you're you're being a bit you're a bit tough on yourself because um it's it's like I mean like because we all grew up with those games that, you know, in one way or another mechanical or art were blocky. But mm. we still rate them higher than we rate games today because, and there's a part of the player's imagination kicks in or they form an emotional connect. Like that's our skill as humans. You know, we can anthropomorphize, we can, you know, put a face on anything and, and feel an attachment to it. And it's like, like picking up Russell Dunk Sports. It's like you say, um, I'm a block. I go, okay, I'm a block, you know, and then yeah, yeah. that's all I, all I need. So it, it would definitely feel a lot different, you know, making it i imagine um you're looking at that every day in that lens and um but i didn't i didn't personally i didn't take that from it at all you know i i thought it was as i said i thought it was genius from the game developer side just been like so yeah. much stuff you don't have to animate i mean I, I i appreciate it that was the idea um so it's cool that it, it worked on you but i think that um like just in like the reception of the game i think like i guess like it's not really like people are complaining about how it looks i think it looks like presents pretty well but um it yeah, I think it's a it's a harder sell when you don't have like I don't know. It, it was a struggle, right? Because I wanted them to still be like characters, if that makes sense. Like I, I thought that it would be uh, suicide to release this game without like characters to put on your like and like faces and stuff to put on your like marketing materials. Um, it sounds like so businessy to to talk like that, but um, I think it's that when you're like looking through a big list of games, it's really hard to see like the screenshots which are all just boxes and get a sense of like is this game good or not and when you start thinking about it in context like that like how to make a game for i don't know like actual people that's actually going to end up on a storefront that people will actually want to like buy mm-hmm. um you do i think it's a part of designing well to consider how to to consider like when people just look at a series of screenshots and giving them a good impression of like the experience of playing, mm. if you know what I mean. Um, and I'm trying to like be conscious of like business stuff and like now, but I, I think it's, that's also just being a good game designer. Right. Um, yeah. So like, and I think in that sense, uh, while it did save time and it does have this like sort of crisp cleanness that I was really after. Um, I think like now that it's, now that it's out, I think it's made that part of it worse. Like I did, the just putting the faces on them was and like the little outfits wasn't enough. I, I the theory was that would get it over the line, and I think it's suffered a bit for it. But I mean, it's really hard to say. What, a- what was the what other considerations did you sort of have? You know, from your experience with Hacknet, it sounds like you almost didn't. I mean, you didn't expect it to sort of take off like that in a way where you've sort of designed a couple of mechanics, uh, you know, and you, you, know, you almost said that they were, they were going to be replaced eventually. Um, given, you know, the success from Hacknet and going into planning WrestleDunk Sports, were there, you know, did you take a different mindset on it in terms of like, you know, you're talking about it from a commercial lens as well. Was that a consideration like when you were planning or prototyping, say, WrestleDunk Sports? Like what uh, other considerations did you make before? Yeah. Yeah. So, full, full so I think there are like two parts to that. Um, the first is that like I've had this sort of philosophy for a while, which is that 
uh, if you want to make a game that like sells well or that does well at market, then you should try and do that on purpose, if that makes sense, right? Like, um, I think it's it's really cool if you're just like, oh, I'm just doing it for the art and I'm just making it this way because it feels best to me. That's that's awesome. But like, I'm really conscious of the fact that I do want, like, when I put my game out to like to sell a bunch of them and to have people that like really exist and that are really alive and that really do play and buy games to actually buy it and to actually enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really hard to talk about this because it's hard to talk about without sending uh, condescending to people that don't have those goals. Because I I think it's totally fine to just be making games for yourself or to have other goals. But I know that this is like important to me and um, I wanted to be, trying to um, do this on purpose, like very deliberately. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I was thinking about this as these as like problems that were going to come up when I was like designing the game. Um, Hence idea of like, I wanted the characters to be like boxes because I wanted the game to feel a certain way and I designed that part first. And then I was like, okay, how do I also fulfill this qualifier of being like, okay, I think I'm going to, I don't think you can just have, boxes on your store page because I think that will look bad and it doesn't matter if I make the game that plays and feels the best in history I don't think that's going to work I don't think you can do Thomas's alone again now um, so I got to like put some faces on it and some outfits and then I'm going to need backgrounds because it's going to be 2D so I'm just going to have to find a good 2D artist I'm looking at other styles and like you know I was really thinking about like will this be like produce a good store page will this sell um and like russell hasn't done very well at like market so i kind of fucked up (laughs) but um i like tried to you know so Mm -hmm. um yeah i definitely i definitely keep that stuff in mind when i'm designing it Uh, as for the second part of the question uh, with what else is important when you're sort of going through that process it's kind of hard to answer. I think all of these things tie into it. Like a big one with Restaurant was wanting to make these sports that felt like small and tight. Um, almost deliberately making things that would be too small of an experience to sell on their own. Like I liked this idea of like the the like some of the Mario Party games are good. And I'm like, oh, I'd like to make ones where it's like all of them are good and just have less of them. So I don't have the bad ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then thinking about it through that lens, I'm like, oh yeah, you can actually just make a bunch of them in one like product, and like, and there you go, that'll be your that'll be your thing. Um, so, yeah, the idea was like, the I did want to make these like small games, but uh, I also wanted it to be like a sellable product. Like, I wanted to be able to make something that could like successfully go to market. And so I was decided to like package a bunch of them together to try and achieve that. You know, that also informs like, all right, well, if somebody's buying one of these, like how many sports do you need to make it like your minimum viable product is a purchasable mm-hmm. thing. And it's like probably four is the minimum you can get away with. And then you can just like do more with updates or whatever. So that's, that's sort of how I ended up there, right? Yeah. And it does sort of feel like, you know, I don't know if you probably maybe were inspired by that, but it does sort of feel like Mario Party cross 
Smash Brothers in a way, yeah, in a certain yeah. way with with yeah. things, and even even like you know looking at it like the P one, the P two, and all that stuff. I'm like, that looks like you know Smash Brothers. I was playing feels- so much Smash Brothers. Um, yeah. So I had a, <laughs> we had Monday Smash nights at uh, at my place for like you know years while we were developing this. Um, and yeah, I think the uh, like the the feedback and stuff in Smash. I think the biggest thing that I took from Smash was just having huge audience cheer sounds play whenever yeah. anything happens. <laughs> I was talking with uh, with Chris who did the sounds, and he's like, "You can't play these at max volume; it's going to sound ridiculous." Like, <laughs> Chris, you don't understand. This is like a quarter of what Smash Brothers does. Sakurai has zero restraint, and he gets away with everything. All right, just let me have my big cheers, and like, and now if you pay attention to it, whenever you do anything, there's just like huge huge cheers and like there's a cruise ship in the background it's like rocking about whenever you hit the ball or anything it's like stupid but um i actually think i could have gotten away with like double what we put in there yeah so i think juice isn't it it's yeah 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 yeah. so um i think uh smash brothers especially inspired a lot of that and then like yeah a bunch of format stuff from um like the mario party things and um you know sports friends is like a uh like a like a pack that of games that I really like, but I think it's annoying to switch between them. And I wanted this thing where I could more easily make more of them um, by just having it all in there. And then I wanted them all to be online as well. So I was like, oh, it's like all these pieces sort of came together. And I'm like, oh yeah, this design kind of works. Um, and then yeah, I guess that's like how I, how I got to that point. I really want it to be like family friendly as well. Mm-hmm. I think you see a lot of these games that just uh, not just, but they have like a lot of blood as a core part of their like aesthetic. Mm. Um, and I really didn't want it to be that because I, I don't know. I've come to really appreciate Nintendo's approach to making things that like everyone can enjoy and that they yeah. don't rely on these sort of like grossness or shock to be like visually interesting. And I wanted to do that. I'm not a hundred percent happy with Resident's look, but I think it's, it's at least true to that, I think, which I'm pleased with. Is there a, a plan for the, um, like, uh, competitions within the community? Like, um, looking at one of the things that um, I think we've spoken about on the podcast before, um, uh, one of the fa- um, the gaps that Nintendo has with something like Smash Brothers is um, they don't want that game to be... Um, like there's so many competitions that people run on it. Um, there's so many tournaments and they've been so publicly adamant. They don't want that. They said, no, Splatoon is the uh, tournament game. We're shutting down anything you guys do that we can help. <laughs> yeah, um, free melee. Yeah, 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 free <laughs> melee. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is, is that a avenue for WrestleDunk to get these kind of tournaments? Uh, obviously, you, you kind of want that to form organically, mm. but is there a like a nudging? Is there a you know an idea with it? Uh, I think the game needs to mature a bit before it can get that. I think it needs a couple more sports in there and maybe a couple updates um, to have that. I don't think it's in a position where I can do much nudging to make that happen. Mm. But um, it was designed so that, at, at least uh, the the intent when I was designing it, was that uh, a couple of these sports would be able to function um, like do pretty well in those sort of contexts, especially at conventions, having like a like a minor tournament of the game at those conventions where you can have like the rounds of different sports and then a final will have like a set of sports and arenas and stuff. Mm. Um, the intended ones are netless volleyball 
and Omega Wrestling, mm-hmm. um, which I think work uh, work pretty well for the both one on one and two v two like formats. I think the in person in person tournaments at like conventions and stuff um, should work great um, if anyone wants to do them. But it's not the game's not in a position where I can like really nudge that to happen. But yeah. I'm like uh, consciously designed for it, and um, yeah, would obviously love for that to happen. But I think that's that's still a while off with uh, like where the game's at now. Yeah, what's uh, what's been one of the key takeaways? I guess looking at both Hacknet and Wrestle Dunk, if you had a key takeaway from each, what would they be? Oh man. Um... <laughs> That's something a, that say that's say a for huge example question. <laughs> it will say for example you learnt uh-huh. something that you know it doesn't have to be a huge thing but something that you learnt from Hacknet that that is almost if anything stuck to you that you know resonated with you the most. Like my one favorite lesson from each, I think both have taught me so much in very different directions that um, it's it's been like a bit of a confusing time trying to like work it all together. Like where I'm meant to go now, I suppose to something that's like got a bunch of like mass mechanical stuff, but that has like interesting narrative elements as well. I'm I'm not sure. So it's I've been having some strange times trying to stitch that information together in my own head to be like, all right, I've got these two skills that haven't quite joined in the middle yet as a game designer, um, and I guess I'm looking for where to go next with that. Um, as for one lesson from each, now that I'm in like that frame of mind, it's really hard to pick out one thing that's like, oh, this is the Hacknet one and this is the WrestleDong one. Um, but let me, all right, let me have a think about it and see with, uh, I think with, <sighs> Hacknet, the thing that I think the most valuable thing I took away from it, I think is kind of what I was saying at the start, which is that a lot of the success for that game came from uh, trying to like be very conscious about how I wanted the player to feel in a certain situation and uh, chasing after that and be willing to sacrifice like gameplay or narrative elements to get closer to that feeling. Like it doesn't matter if a section is boring, if it fulfills that goal, you know, it doesn't matter if a section is outright bad design as long as it gets the player to that feeling. Um, and if that's where you're going, then like that's all that matters. Um, and I think that you can get really powerful and really interesting results by using that formula from Hacknet. And I think when you're building like immersive or narrative stuff that should like make a player feel a certain way, then um, a lot of the approaches I've learned and the philosophy of just... Um, trying to be more conscious about what actually makes someone feel that way and then be willing to sacrifice everything else to get there um, is really valuable and something I want to do more. Um, so that's probably the Hacknet one. Uh, with WrestleDunk, I think uh, it doesn't transfer as easily into words, but I've learned a lot about um, like buttons that feel good, how to have like your general interactions with a controller feel uh, like satisfying and nice, uh, and the things that are and aren't important uh, with that. So that's been, yeah, I, I feel like I've picked up a lot of that from WrestleDunk. 
Um, the things that I've learned the most from in a technical way from Mercedon can definitely in like networking um, and like online multiplayer, which is just as hard as everyone says it is. Yeah. Um, it's really <laughs> difficult and really annoying. Um, so don't write your own system like I did. That's dumb. <laughs> don't do it. Good on you, though. God damn. And and uh, was WrestleDunk your first foray into console development as well? Um, I think it's my first thing that actually came out on a console, yeah. Uh, I made a previous game for like Xbox Live and had gone through a bunch of cert stuff with that. But I don't think I ended up releasing that on Xbox at all. Um, so I've done some console stuff in the past, but this is the first game that I ever actually released on a console. Was the um, certification process for that, was that a lot trickier than you thought it was going to be? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so there's all sorts of reasons why WrestleDunk took so long to come out. Um, certification's one, but the real one is uh, the networking stuff. But, oh, my God, was it all a huge hassle for this project. Like, so much worse than it could have been. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the problem comes from the fact that um, WrestleDunk really obnoxiously so when you're doing certification, right, you don't need to do all parts of it. For example, like if you're making like a single player game, you don't need to support the controller configuration of like just the left Joy-Con, right? Mm. Um, you can just not support that if you don't want to. Um, and uh, like other stuff, like if you have uh, like online multiplayer, there's like a whole section of certification that's like user-generated content. Um, which, you know, you just won't need to ever look at if you do that. And unfortunately, WrestleDunk does every single part of the cert, like all of it, um, because it's got cross-platform play, so it has user-generated content from outside of the Switch ecosystem, which is just Steam usernames. But, like, they're not in the username thing, so you've got to go through that whole path, which means you need to, like, deal with the, uh, the weird API of, like... Uh, switch profanity filter code um and so you need to run all these names through that um uh it's got it just it just touches every part of it um so yeah we got a cert fail that was like all right if you on the start screen if you disconnect all of the controllers from a switch and uh and activate only the left joy con then the little press plus to begin doesn't change into a minus because the minus button is the one you need to press when you've only got left Joy-Con, yeah. uh, but it's plus in all other circumstances. But like, no, that's a fail. Like, you can't, you can't do it. And I'm like, I get it. I just hadn't thought about it. You know, that's crazy. Um, like rigorous testing that they must do just to get like yeah. these edge cases. That's um, crazy. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. So, um, <laughs> we've done, uh, we've done a whole lot of that. Uh, there was another one where the uh, the store page short line description. Um, was cut off in Russian. Oh, we're in like 13 languages on launch as well. So that, that oh, wow. made it a hassle. But um, yeah. yeah, I and I like the worst bit is I had totally planned for this. I'm like, all right, it's almost always German that is the longest, like that you translate English into, the German one's longest. It's annoying because it also has extremely long individual words because they like in German, they combine a bunch of like English words and just one very long one. So it doesn't line split as nicely. So usually you want to check it in German. And then you also want to check it in like Chinese because their uh, like their language system will compress it to be much smaller. So if you check those two, then the others are probably fine. But if some weird translation quirk, Russian was the longest in this one and it got one word clipped off at the end. So like my store page is messed up. Um, <laughs> 
I also had all of the publishing stuff on Switch was insane for this because we have, uh, yeah, like 13 languages. Um, so we're releasing in every possible Switch region, which means like seven different storefronts um, for the main game uh, and for the demo. Um, all seven of those have different rules about the little subtext that needs to be at the back of your back end of your trailer. Mm. Um, and uh, we also have a news channel for all of those. Uh, plus, they have two bonus ones, I believe, for Brazil and uh, what was the other one? Whatever. Another one because uh, they went in there at the start of the launch. Uh, we failed store page cert in uh, the North America region because... We uh, ticked a bunch of boxes that they just let you tick and then they would just fail you to be like, you're not supposed to tick that one box. I'm like, <laughs> it just looks good to me. And like, you want to sell it here? And I'm like, yes. Oh, but um, no, that wasn't allowed. So um, yeah, I think, we, I think we, we had to go through and ran into problems with every possible like phase of this because just the way Restodonk set up as being like, it supports the maximum number of controllers that you can possibly connect to a Switch. It supports every controller you can connect to a Switch. Um, it's in every language that the Switch supports, uh, and it's cross-platform. It's online, and it's like I, I just hit everything. Um, so, uh, I mean, when I was designing the game, I was like, "Oh, I, I'm building like a solid foundation for all these sports. So I'm just going to support it all." And then when it came time to start, I hate that we support so much <laughs> dumb stuff. Yeah, it was a huge, huge hassle. So, so it was something you, you you did want it from the outset. Like, was that something that you sort of decided like with this game we want to do do it all basically? Yeah. Again, I can't stress how dumb I am. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely parallels between uh, it seems your your certification, your testing, and everything, and um, uh, moving out. And we had um, Ashley Ringrose on. <laughs> Yeah, he he was saying the same thing. Oh, and the, I, I listened to that episode you did, and he said they passed it first time, and I almost snapped my phone. Yeah. In house. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot I that was part. Furious. Yeah, <laughs> he, the part that I remembered was the um, uh, you have to like leave a, con- a controller unplugged for ten hours or twelve hours, and mm-hmm, you come mm-hmm. back in and make sure it. Uh, oh my god! Like, and just the amount of time and effort. I think he was saying with with um, a lot of the yeah the consoles you have to have connected, and you're gonna have multiple. You know, if you're on Xbox, you can have multiple Xbox dev kits and multiple mm-hmm. this, and it almost like you know adds all this uh, financial burden. Like you know, exponentially grows like the more platforms you uh, support. So it's, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy. Um, so I did I did pretty much the whole certification process with the online stuff as well just like just on my own um and that's that's just hard you know it's like that's a lot it's also that like the networking model that we wrote which is like brand new is like rollback netcode which is like the fancy fighting game style which is like the hardest netcode model to implement (laughs) well at least one of them um i think it's like the hardest peer-to-peer one you can do um and that's like it's just got a reputation for just sinking companies and just like ruining everything it's like why smash doesn't have rollback netcode it's just it's just too hard um and i was like i'll be fine i'll just do it um (laughs) and it's just it was just a terrible choice um like it's kind of cool now that it's done but oh my god it was difficult so so doing that i mean i had i had help with um like some of the matchmaking stuff with um like network engineer jamie but the actual rollback code itself, it was just like me as well. And then doing the certification for the networking. I think just doing it as one person, is it's just a lot, you know. It's yeah. it's too much. 
So it's yeah. uh, it was it was a struggle to get this one out. So now now that you sort of now that Restunk's out, mm. uh, you probably continue. I mean, you continue supporting it. You mentioned rolling out a couple of different um, game modes and things like mm-hmm. that. What, what do you think your your future plans are? Let's say beyond Restunk. Doesn't have to be any projects named or anything, but mm-hmm. you know, there's sort of themes you want to explore. You mentioned earlier um, this this fusion of the narrative stuff that you did in Hacknet, and now this mechanical stuff that you've done in in WrestleDunk. Where where do you where do you want to go, or where do you think you might go? Um, so, I do have another project that I'm uh, like working on. Um, a bunch of details to that, uh, like super confidential but i think this is going to be something uh like bigger in scale than both of these games um and uh yeah i'm looking forward to talking about it i think it's i think it's going to be really good but uh yeah i think it's i think i want to make something that's uh yeah i'm not i'm not sure i, I probably shouldn't say too much about it but um yeah yeah i'm doing um some some wrestling uh, like updates, I do. I've had actually in mind the two sports, like whole sports, that I wanted to to add to the game for ages. That um, like while I was doing all the like the cert and stuff, I was like, ah, oh, I want to I want to make this extra sport for it. Um, but I don't know. I was really strict with myself, being like, all right, you can't make more of it because then I have to finish that whole thing and get all that through like certain stuff before the game can come out. And like it was enough of a hassle as it was. So I was really strict on myself, like no working on it at all, not, not like a single line of code. So now the game's out, I'm, um, I'm starting to work on like one of those two. That's fun. So uh, I'll be doing that for a while, but um, yeah, not, not ready to talk about like major next game projects just yet. <laughs> this one's still pretty fresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. No, uh, it's very fresh, don't yeah, worry. <laughs> so um, so not, not ready to talk about any of that yet, but um, I, think, I think I'm glad that I've done this sort of step of like learning about small mechanical stuff because I think it's going to let me make much more impressive games going forward. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd still like to do, you know, more Hacknet stuff or whatever eventually and still want to do some more Rostodunk sports. Um, but uh, yeah, I think having the option of doing things that are both like more like narratively and structurally interesting with things that um, have like uh, fun buttons to press, you know, like a real video game um, would be really cool. So I want to do something like that uh, next. I think it's going to be really cool, but cool. You know, we'll see. We're, we're keen to see where it goes. Um, <laughs> we always we always try to end our episodes with uh, asking our guests to give a piece of advice to aspiring indie developers or anyone that's really looking to you know, get into it or mm-hmm. even get into the games industry if they, if they are not in it or haven't made a game before. Um, what would be your key piece of advice to, uh, to people? Yeah, I've prepared for this one. I've actually got, I've got an answer <laughs> ready to go. Um, so uh, this is partially to to just like someone who's listening that would want to do it, but this is also directed direct, like straight to you, AIE. You should put this in your curriculum. It's really important because um, I've, I've played a bunch of those games that come out of like, you know, AIE programs. I was one of the, the judges for their incubator program and stuff for a while. But um, something that I see a lot of game jam, people that are new to making games, like game jam games, and they're like you know, student projects or whatever, 
they'll consistently have like bad game feel and it's it's such a a weird nonsense like term and you can like read the book on it or whatever and watch the youtube videos and all of that but i think even the results that come out of some of those youtube videos i'm like just turn down the screen shake it's a disaster <laughs> um but i do have a piece of advice for making games that uh like feel better because i actually think that you can pick up a new game and you can just like fiddle with the controls and decide within like 20 seconds like is this game good or not and like you're seeing essentially none of the game but the fact that a lot of people die in it that's like how i feel about many games that i pick up and it's almost always bang on um because i think you can get a really good impression about how good a game feels and how like fun it's going to be over a long term by just how fun it is to like mess with the buttons at the start mm-hmm. so i would say that if you want to be a better game developer then i would recreate pixel for pixel the exact movement and button controller of super mario 64 just oh, wow. if you're making a 3d game just just make it exactly that one uh and you just like you just put a bunch of models in exactly the size and just make it so that it does the same tilt when you like run the little circle you know the the jumps function exactly the same way if your little box flips over in the same manner it'll be easier if you can just like rip that model out of somewhere and get the animations but just going through the process of seeing how much work goes into making something work like that like you'll end up making a bunch of like if you're in unity right you'll like make a bunch of variables and you'll be able to like tweak the timers and the sliders for various things by just going through the process of getting something to a completely finished state that matches exactly how mario controls and stuff will give you such a good understanding of like what sliders are important you know like what what numbers you need to actually be playing with and then when you're building your own movement system next time you probably want to incorporate a bunch of that stuff like i think uh, I will play any game that has the character that, like tilt into the corners a little bit. Mm. That's not clearly like an off-the-shelf like Mixamo solution. I'll play all of them, and I will love all of them because I love that little tilt. It's so good. Um, and if you're doing a 2D game, then just pick your favorite 2D con- like character controller. I think the Hollow Knight one's really simple and it's really good. Um, the uh, yeah, I mean, you can just pick one of the other Mario ones if you want to do that one, like one of the modern 2D Marios. I, think, I mean, they're all 3D, but you know, 2D controlling ones. Yeah, um, I would just get one of those and recreate it uh, like pixel for pixel perfectly. Um, and I think that'll give you a really good sense of what it takes to make a fun character controller because that takes that will take a really long time. That's like a hard thing to do. So, uh, hey, make it one of your, like, semester courses where you just yeah. do that whole thing. They'll tell you how to do it, and all of the people have to do it themselves. And it would be great. And I think all of the games that come out of those, like, uh, those people will be way better for it. So that would be my advice. Just uh, practice making one really, really good character controller. Um, and if you don't have a really solid idea of how to do your own one, I'd recommend just recreating one of the Mario ones first. Or, like, another game that you like, whatever. Amazing. That's that's really good key piece of advice. Very <laughs> actionable as well. You know, that was the plan. Yeah, we need AIE now to start this course up. <laughs> oh, uh, you don't, can, don't. You can go like, judge it. <laughs> I can't tell them that directly. It'd be way too embarrassing. Also, I also feel weird giving advice now because I think after like, uh, like after now that Resident done, I'm looking back at like yeah. a lot of stuff I thought was true. Even like in the period after Hacknet before Resident came out, I'm like oh man, I think I was really wrong about a lot of stuff 
So I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm feeling maybe I should be way more reluctant about telling people what to do or what's right <laughs> and wrong. I think nobody has any idea, including me. So yeah. Yeah, if you don't want to do that, just don't do it. It's just what yeah. I think. <laughs> You're not wrong, That's though. The, the Mario controls are tight. And it's, like, it's like real nice, right? Yeah. and that Actually, 20... you know what? Don't make Mario 64. Make Mario Odyssey. <laughs> that one's very slightly better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make the make a triple A title. Yeah, 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 don't do the hat throw though. Make him. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever you do, just don't make the punch from uh, what is it? Galaxy. The punch is so annoying. It always oh. misses. What's the deal with that? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think those those nice tight character controllers are really good, and like going through the full journey of making one is like so valuable. I wish I'd done it like earlier. I think, you know, it, it took me a long time to work out that, like, so when I did, like, an exercise like this, because I wanted to work it out, there's, like, weird things you can work out, like, uh, the the height that your your jump button sends you, that's, like, you can almost derive the best distance to that based on how big your character is on screen and where your camera is positioned in the scene, because mm-hmm. you don't want your camera to move up at the exact same time the jump goes up, because otherwise it's really hard to tell how high you're going because the camera moves up at the same time. Yeah. So you want your camera to stay there, but when you press the button, you can't have the character jump off the screen. Yeah. Um, it feels best if you're, if you're like standing on a flat plane, you press jump, the camera doesn't move at all. So like the maximum, the, the maximum height that you can go is really strictly determined by like how far away your camera is. And you can just work out the best possible distance. And, like, and that means that if you, you, your game world is designed for the character to jump up certain heights, you might need a movie camera out or in to make that like comfortable there's a whole bunch of weird stuff like that that's like it's all the little nitty gritty details you don't think about yeah Yeah, but like it's you you feel it as soon as you like get a controller in your hands like no matter who plays it and i think that's um yeah at least to me that's uh like if you've got like just a good jump going on i think yeah you know that's like half your game right there it's yeah yeah it's incredibly valid um especially if you're working with um unreal engine because it's Mm. so physics based uh, you look on Twitter, um, people who try making uh, Mario, like that game out of the box on Unreal Engine is impossible. You have to rewrite the physics engine because mm. Unreal Engine is physics based. Um, mm. And I know a certain programmer who's from, if he's listening, is biting his head <laughs> against the wall for ages dealing with that mechanic. And uh, the evangelists and everyone from Unreal Engine are just like, no, nah, you just have to rebuild the physics engine. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just uh, just having like a physics force like push the character when your stick's going in that direction, it might like work out really neatly for the programming. But I think if you actually do this, what you'll find is like to get the Mario one, you just can't, and it's in service of making your buttons and stuff feel better, which always has to be like the winner out of those two. And so you'll end up with this, probably end up with like horrible butchered code. In which case, like if you're gonna do it for your real game, you know, just like, do it again, make it nicer. But like, it's always worth it i think um yeah so i mean that's that kind of goes back to it's like weirdly the same thing it ends up back at the same thing that like the hacknet point was which is like if you want the player to like feel good when they're moving around the stick you just you just sacrifice how nice it works in the code and just you just have to make it work nicer yeah and feel nicer that's it fantastic that's the key piece of advice how can (laughs) people uh find you or find wrestle dunk hacknet um, yeah, if my games are both on Steam, um, Wrestlelunk's on Switch, so you know you just type into Google or in the Switch store. Um, there's Hacknet; it's got an expansion pack called Labyrinths. Uh, Wrestlelunk Sports 
on both. You should just be able to type WrestleDunk in. Um, I've got a Twitter at O-R-A-N-N. But uh, yeah, don't go on Twitter. I don't, I don't post stuff. Twitter sucks. <laughs> you can follow me if you want. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.